All right, good evening. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, As as Bruce said, this is finals week for you college students. Bummer. Um, But I hope you have a great finish to your semester. We appreciate you all so much and uh, the impact you make in our church. Um, For most of you, this is probably your last worship service with us for a while. And so we hope you have a great summer and encourage you to stay connected with us via podcast, website, Facebook, all that. I also wanted to mention um, that when you come back in August, we're going to be gearing up for our annual Share Fest on Labor Day weekend. So you can mark your calendar now. Sunday, August 31st, all of our campuses are going to be combining our efforts that morning. Instead of the typical way that we do church in buildings like this, we're going to be going out there in our community and serving people in Jesus' name. It's going to be an awesome day. Mark your calendar, August 31st, ShareFest. Tell your friends. Um, We're very, very excited about that. So uh, a few weeks ago, my desktop uh, computer got replaced because it was getting old. And in the midst of the transition, I had to re-download a Bible study program that I use. It's called eSword, and it has lots of reference materials for study. And many of the materials are free, but there are some modules that I paid extra for that are very helpful. And so when I downloaded, re-downloaded it, I noticed that some of the modules I'd paid for were no longer there. And in my frustration about this, I emailed technical support, and they responded immediately by giving me this amazing thing called an activation code. It, it, was, it is a combination, it was a combination of letters and numbers that made absolutely no sense. But when I typed in this code into the appropriate box, voila, I mean, all of my reference books were back. With that, with that activation, without that activation code, I had nothing. I mean, that, that code opened the door for a more complete experience of Bible study. Now, did you realize that there actually is an activation code when it comes to experiencing the fullness of God's power in our lives? And if we don't have this code, our experience with God is significantly limited. So so what is this code? Faith. See, faith is what activates the power of God in our lives. Jesus once said that faith in him can move mountains. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So in this teaching series, we're we're focusing on this very important question. How can we increase our faith so that we can experience all that God has for us? And in order to answer that question, we are looking together at a passage of scripture found in Luke chapter 24, where two ordinary guys find themselves in the midst of a faith struggle. Jesus, their leader, has just been crucified, and now they hear that the tomb is empty. So so as they walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they are distressed and confused as they wrestle with what all of this means. And at some point, Jesus himself joins them, but they don't realize it's him. And he, he begins to help them grow in their faith First of all, by opening their eyes to the Bible. In the scriptures, our faith can be stirred as we understand who Jesus is and and who we are. And, And so that's been our focus for the last few weeks. But in this passage, there are a few other things that can help us grow in our faith. And one of those things is what we're going to be looking at today, the power of testimony. Hearing the stories of others who have experienced God. I mean, that that is an incredible faith builder. Someone once said that a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. 
Experience trumps arguments every time. I mean, someone can earnestly argue that Jesus is still dead in the tomb, but when another person shares specifically how Jesus has changed their life, that initial argument loses its, its luster. I mean, the body of Christ is to be a place where testimonies are shared with each other, where we give witness to and evidence of God's activity in our lives. This practice stirs our faith. It activates the power of God in our midst. Luke knew this. He knew this was the case. In fact, look at what he writes at the beginning of of his gospel account. Luke chapter 1. He starts with this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So notice what Luke is saying. He has studied, he has researched various eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Luke was a physician, so he was obviously had kind of an inquiring, studious mind. So he compiled this information for his friend, Theophilus, in order that he would know the certainty of what he had been taught. See, Luke is intentionally using people's testimonies about Jesus in order to increase the faith of his friend. There is incredible power in us reflecting upon and sharing our stories of how Jesus has impacted our lives. Now, we're going to get to Luke 24 in in just a couple minutes, but before we go there, I want to show you another another incredible example of this. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well, at a a well where, where she was drawing water. Now, we find out in the story here that this woman was desperately searching for love in all the wrong places, having been with five different men, and because of her lifestyle choices, she was an outcast in that society. Well, in the midst of her conversation with Jesus, he skillfully reveals to her that he he knows everything about her. He knows all about her sexual immorality. He knows all about her brokenness. He knows all about her heart. And he wants her to know that he is the Messiah, the one that her heart had been longing for, the one she had been truly searching for. So look at what happens next, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar after this conversation with Jesus, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I love that. She didn't have a seminary degree. She didn't even have the respect of the people in her hometown, but she did have a testimony. She had a story about how Jesus had touched her life, and that story impacted the entire village. Many believed, it says, many believed because of her testimony. 
I mean, notice again how how testimony stirs faith. Hearing stories of what God has done in people's lives stirs our faith in Jesus. Okay, now let's go back to Luke 24, where these two disciples are walking along with Jesus, even though they don't know who it's him, and they, they invite him to stay with them in the village. And at the meal, Jesus breaks bread, and they immediately recognize who he is, and he disappears from their sight, which is pretty cool, right? So verse 32, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So notice their response to their encounter with Jesus. They, they just have to talk about it, right? First, they talk to each other. We're not our hearts burning within us. I mean, they're, they're just talking about this. When he explained the word, And then they hurry back to Jerusalem right then in the dark. They don't even stay the night so they can tell the disciples. You know, they don't stay the night like they'd initially planned. They have to share their story. And can't you just see them hurrying along that dirt path, no longer tired from their journey? I mean, they can't wait to share what happened. And so when they get to Jerusalem, did you notice what are the other disciples doing? They're not playing games or whatever. They're not playing solitaire or video games or whatever. They're sharing their story. So these two disciples walk in on the disciples who are sharing their story. It's true. He's alive. He appeared to Peter. And so in the midst of this testimony time, these two followers then come in and they tell what happened to them on on, on the road to Emmaus. Faith is on the rise among these disciples where just hours before they were in despair, totally confused and lost. Now their faith is growing. The power of Jesus is being activated in their lives. Why? Because of the sharing of testimony. In the midst of of our struggles, in the midst of life's circumstances that that don't go the way we had hoped, it is easy, it is easy for our, our faith to wane. It is. For me, for all of this, I mean, it's easy for discouragement to settle in, like, like a, a wet blanket, right? We start to wonder whether God is real, or whether he really cares for us, whether he really is at work in the world. And often it's in those moments that our enemy, the, 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 the devil, seizes the moment, right? And he starts sowing into our minds and hearts thoughts of despair and, and hopelessness and, and fear, you know, fear, fear is to Satan what faith is to God. Satan wants us, he wants us to live in fear. He wants to use fear because fear and faith can't happen at the same time, right? That's part of the battle. And so how can we drive back the enemy's work in this, in this area? How do we drive back the enemy's work? There's a fascinating passage in, in Revelation chapter 12 that answers this very question for us. Look with me beginning in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. This is talking about Satan. It's what he does. He accuses us day and night. You're not really a Christian. 
God doesn't really love you. That's just what he does. So he's accusing day and night. It's a picture of Satan being hurled to earth just to continue this activity, uh, relentlessly accusing God's people. Again, he's just, he's a jerk, really. He really is. He was always accusing us. He, he, this is the way the enemy works. He, he tempts us to give in to sin, right? Makes it look really appealing. And then we give in. And then on this side of it, he says, you jerk. How, why did you give in to that? I mean, that's what he does. He tempts us into sin and then he accuses us on the other side of it. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome him? Look at verse 11. In fact, read this out loud with me. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. When we share about what Jesus has done for us, it stirs our faith and it drives back the discouraging, accusing work of the enemy. Again, we see the power of testimony in our spiritual lives. When is the last time we gave testimony of Jesus' activity in our lives? Think about that. For you personally, when is the last time you gave testimony to Jesus' activity in your life? When when is the last time we shared something specific that Jesus has done in our lives? I mean, we eagerly talk about the latest movie we've seen, right? The latest book we've read, or or the Broncos are drafting, or whatever. We, We naturally talk about success at work or school. We love to share about our kids or our grandkids, what they're doing. But when do we talk about Jesus with each other? Why is it so rare that we talk about him compared to these other things that we talk about? Perhaps it reveals something about what we truly love. We talk about what we love, right? I got together with a friend of mine recently and we had made a friendly wager about which conference would do better in the NCAA tournament. I said the Big 12. He thought the Big Ten, and of course he was right, so at least this time he was right, so I owed him a cup of coffee. So as we sat in Starbucks the other day, we didn't, we didn't talk about basketball. Instead, he just began to share how much joy he found in his Savior. And he shared about the cool things that Jesus had done in the lives of specific people that he knew and churches that he had been a part of over the years with tears in his eyes and and a smile on his face, he he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. My faith in Jesus was stirred. See, that's what happens when we share testimony of his activity in our lives. Again, how often do we share with others what Jesus has done in our lives? I'm not even talking about evangelizing here. I'm just talking about everyday conversations with our family or our friends. How often does Jesus come up in the conversation? If, If it's not very often, why is that? Again, we talk about what we love, and so maybe we need to intentionally focus our hearts again on our, on our love for Jesus and, and his love for us. And as that love increases, we can then share with others stories of his activity in our lives. Now, you may think you don't have many stories like that, but I know that most of us here have at least one story like that, the story of how we came to faith in Christ. When did Jesus become real to us? 
What did that first experience of forgiveness feel like? What happened in your life after you decided to place your trust in Jesus? That's a story most of us here have. That's a story that's worth reflecting upon and, and telling. Do you ever do that? Do you ever tell that story of coming to Jesus? Maybe it was a single moment in time you can name the date. Maybe it was, just, it was more of a process, but either way, the end result is the same. Your life has been impacted by Jesus in a profound way. And I'm curious, do your friends know that story? Does your spouse know that story? Do your, do your kids know your story of how you came to Christ? Does your small, your life group, do they know your story? I mean, is there any more important story in your life? I encourage us to, to, to write down that story so that we can easily share with others and then to do that. Begin with those closest to us. Just begin sharing the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. Now, in the history of, of the Christian church, the Christian faith, there has been a particular activity that in a fairly dramatic way, an obvious way, communicates to others part of our story with Jesus. And that activity is baptism. We have a number of people who are going to be baptized um, today. Baptism is a wonderful way to publicly declare our faith in Jesus. It becomes part of our story with him. And here's why. Baptism symbolizes what Jesus has done for us in salvation. See, it is a public testimony of Jesus' work. It symbolizes Jesus' work at multiple levels. For one thing, baptism happens in water, which symbolizes cleansing. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are washed clean. He forgives all of our sin, past, present, and future. Any sin we have ever or will ever commit, all of it is under his blood. He paid for all of it. And so, so in baptism, we are acknowledging this glorious truth that we are washed clean by his blood, completely forgiven. Our debt of sin has been paid in full. Hallelujah, right? What, what an amazing Savior Jesus is. There's another thing that baptism symbolizes so powerfully. Paul describes it in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is drawing on the imagery of baptism, that when a person goes under the water, it symbolizes that person's union with Christ in his death, that our sin was nailed to the cross with him. We are no longer under the power and the penalty of sin. And when we come up out of the water, it symbolizes that we are now united with Christ in his resurrection. Right? His resurrection life. His power now lives in us. His spirit now lives in us. We are a new creation in Christ. We were spiritually dead apart from him. No spiritual pulse at all. But now we are alive with him. Our hearts are changed. Whereas before we couldn't care less about God, now we long to know him and follow him and pray to him. Everything we have is his. So being a Christian is not about following some list of rules. No, being a Christian is about being in relationship with Jesus, where his, his life courses through your veins, where his spirit lives in you. 
Again, what, what a powerful symbol baptism is. It is a symbol of, of forgiveness of sins as well as new life. Now, the fact that baptism is done publicly is also significant. It is a way to publicly declare our allegiance to Jesus, that we have placed our faith in his finished work on the cross, that, that we are choosing to align our hearts and our lives with him. And so baptism is a crucial part of our story, our, our, our testimony. We put a video together of some of our staff just sharing a bit of their baptism stories. And let's, let's watch this. So I was baptized as a 10-year-old kid. I was sprinkled um, on my head, which was a little more appealing as a girl rather than being submerged underwater in front of a whole bunch of people. We went out in the morning and the lake up there in the mountain down in South Park and got baptized and it was freezing. So we all gathered at the neighbor's pool and both of my pastors baptized me. At the time my mom didn't want me to be baptized. She said that I was baptized as a kid um, in the Lutheran church and I didn't need to be baptized again no matter what my church taught. And so when I was in the water and I was really nervous, <laughs> it was really precious because it was just this absolute surrendering of myself to him. At that moment, it was just me and Jesus. And I didn't really feel this crazy thing. Um, I didn't have a dove come down on me like Jesus did. But, uh, but it really was a significant part in my journey with Christ. And that was really when I began sensing and knowing that the Holy Spirit was working in me. For me, it was just a great affirmation of being a part of Christian community, that we don't do faith by ourselves, we do it with others. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, Matthew 28 teaches that I am to be baptized. It's an expression of my faith in Jesus Christ, and it's not invalidating what my mom or dad did when I was a kid. Um, it's the fulfillment of their vision that I would come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ and that I would live out that faith for myself. When I was young, I didn't understand baptism. Um, it was just something we did in the church. And I love now knowing what baptism actually represents and what it represents to me as a follower of my Savior, that it is this declaration in front of people, this symbol that I am fully dependent on my God in every facet of my life. So, so baptism is a part of our story with Jesus, which is why Jesus commands that his followers be baptized. He said in Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So baptism is a very important step of obedience. Jesus commands that we be baptized once we have placed our trust in him. It's, it's, it's a part of what it means to follow him. Now, it's not something we need to pray about any more than we need to you know, pray about whether we're supposed to love people. Uh, you know, we, we don't need to pray about that. We know it's a command, and so too is baptism. It's a command for every follower of Jesus. It is a specific way to obey him. Now, please hear me. Baptism is not a way to be saved. 
There is no religious work we can do that can somehow gain us into, in, into a relationship with God. We are, the Bible says we are separated from God because of our sin. It, it, is a, it is a grand canyon of separation. He is holy and we are not. Now, we can try all sorts of things to try and bridge that gap, which we do, right? To try and jump across this spiritual chasm, this spiritual Grand Canyon, by you know, going to church and being a nice person and following the golden rule and, 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 and you know, being baptized, whatever it is. But the end result is the same. We fall way short. We fall way short of God's glory. The only way into relationship with Jesus is through faith in him. That's what saves us. That's what enables our sins to be forgiven and Jesus to come live in us, placing our faith in him. So I want to stop for a moment. I want to ask a couple of really important questions here. First question, have you entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Let me ask this another way. If you were to die today and were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What would your answer be? Think about that. If you were to stand before God today and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If your answer is something like, well, I tried to be a good person. Well, I went to church a lot. I'm better than most people. I read my Bible, I do, you know, do these things. If you've, I tried to follow you. If, 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 if you said anything like that or thought anything like that, then you're trusting in your own effort to get to God. You're trusting in you. You're trusting in what you've done. And that doesn't work. Remember the Grand Canyon I mentioned a moment ago? Our sin separates us from God, and we cannot get across that Grand Canyon in our own effort. We can't. We need a Savior who can take us across. And that Savior is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, all of them. He is the way into a relationship with God. He invites you into a love relationship with him where he will forgive your sin and come to live in you, changing you from the inside out. So I want us to stop for a moment and give an opportunity for anyone here to enter into a, this relationship with Jesus where your sins are forgiven and you are given new life in him. So let's just pray, bow our heads for a moment here. And what I'd like to do, I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're here because someone else is getting baptized and maybe you have this idea that being a Christian is just try, about trying to be a good person and going to church. And, and the Bible makes it very clear that's not what having a relationship with God's about. It's not about trying hard. It's about trusting Jesus. And so there may be some of you who are like, I don't know if I really have ever done that, placed my trust in Jesus. And I want to. So let me, if that's the desire of your heart, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, if that's the desire of your heart, would you pray with me in the silence of your heart? I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner separated from you, a grand canyon of separation. You're holy and I'm not. And there is nothing I can do, no matter how often I go to church, no matter how many Bible verses I memorize, no matter how hard I try to be a good person, there is nothing I can do to bridge that gap. But you came to me. 
You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to pay for my sin, the penalty of my sin. And I am choosing right now in this moment, I choose to place my trust in you alone for my relationship with you. I bring to you all my failures, all my faults, all my fears, all my doubts. I bring all that to you and I just place it on your shoulders. I ask you to take me. And I ask you now to come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Forgive my sin, past, present, future, and come live in me, changing me from the inside out through the power of your love. So, Father, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you that the angels in heaven rejoice. Thank you that these folks are now a part of your family. Their sins are forgiven. They are in relationship with you, and I pray you would help them grow in this relationship with you, God. Thank you for that. Amen. Okay, that's the first question. Really important question. Second question I want to ask everyone here. If you have never been baptized as a believer in Jesus, why not do so today? The water is ready, and it's warm, believe it or not. Finally, we got that right. So uh, no, um, people, amen, people are here to witness this. They're here to celebrate with you. Why wait? Now, there, there are a couple of specific situations I want to mention. One invitation is for those of you who were baptized as an infant, you were baptized as an infant, but you've never been baptized as an adult. If you were baptized as an infant, that baptism was a reflection of your parents' desire for you to be God's, which is a great thing. I don't want anyone here going back to your parents and being mad at them for having you baptized as an infant. It was a reflection of their desire for your spiritual connection with God. But now that you have embraced Christ for yourself, you are to be baptized as a reflection of your own decision for Jesus. Now that you're a believer, you can fully experience baptism in a way that you couldn't as an infant. Why not be baptized today to declare your faith in Christ? There may be others of you who you've been a Christian for years, maybe for a long time, maybe month, whatever, been a Christian for a long time, but for whatever reason, fear or pride, you've just chosen to not be baptized. And I would just ask you, why not choose to put your pride and your fear or your fear aside and just obey Jesus, obey Jesus in this way? It's the perfect opportunity to do that. And let me also extend this invitation to those of you who, who just prayed with me to receive Jesus. You just prayed that prayer. This is the perfect time for you to be baptized right away. <laughs> That's how they did it in the Bible. Uh, right away, as soon as possible after placing your trust in him. Why not get baptized today? For any and all of you, even if you weren't planning on doing this, that's okay. We have extra shirts and gym shorts and towels. You can do this. We are ready, okay? We, we can help make this happen. So I want us to take just a few moments here of silence as we allow the Spirit to speak to us about this. So Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you to lay it on our hearts, this conviction if you want us to be baptized, I pray you would lay this on our hearts as we wait on you.
Lord, give courage where there's fear and maybe pride and what are people going to think and self-absorption, all those things that are raised in our minds. We just pray you would remove those now. Just give us courage and simple faith just to obey you in this way. Okay, so here's how this is going to work. In just a moment, the worship team's going to come out. They're going to lead us in the worship song. If you're wanting to be baptized and you didn't attend the orientation last weekend, that's all right. We got you covered. What I want you to do, all you got to do is just slip out of your seat. Once the song starts, just slip out of your seat and go into the lobby and head over to this area right over here, okay? It used to be our gathering place, just that area right over there. Go out any door, head to that, head that area. You're going to see signs there. There are going to be people there who will visit with you. They're going to ask you a few questions, and then they're going to give you directions. Again, anyone wanting to be baptized who hasn't taken the orientation class, just head to the lobby and go over to that area, and, and we'll, we will... Lead, you, lead the way there. If you did take the orientation last week, what we want you to do is just to come up here on my left, come up in this area. Steps are fine, stage or whatever. Just come up in this area and be, pers- be, be sure that the person who's baptizing you, they come up with you as well. So we're going to be lining up over here. Pastor Bruce will be over here to help you get lined up. And after everyone is lined up, and other people are getting ready and all that. We're gonna, we'd like to spend just a, a couple minutes just hearing from some of those who are going to be baptized is what Jesus means to them personally. It could be really, really short or a little story or whatever, why they're being baptized. Um, and you'll also notice that the people who are being baptized are wearing a black T-shirt. And on the front of it, they've had the opportunity to, to answer one of those questions of what Jesus means to them or why they're getting baptized. And so again, if you've participated in the orientation class last week, once the song starts, just come right over here, begin lining up right here. And if you just decided to be baptized, just so cool, if you just decided to be baptized, um, head to the lobby right when the song starts, just head to the lobby and head that direction and someone will meet you there, okay? Why don't we stand? Let's stand as the worship team leads us 